this is Long live the new flesh. Hello, listeners. Welcome to this far-out new episode of Warts Celluloid. I'm, I'm the co- co-host number one, Jack Rourke, and co-host number two being... Chandler Williams. What's new today, Chandler? What is on the docket for Mr. Chandler Williams? Nothing much. You know, it's Sunday morning, chilling. Going to get a church later and uh, do some yeah. homework. How about Yo. yourself? Yo. I am just working on some editing and, you know, recording this as per usual. If you're listening to this to, or in today, we, happy Halloween. We, we're happy to, we're to deliver the show today, and we have saved the best, well, maybe the best, that's all just opinion, of course, for last, for this, or in this spooktacular, or whatever the fuck you want to call it. Chandler, what film are we going to be talking about today? Oh, we have a robotic voice for this reveal, but oh, today we'll be talking about Videodrome. Why would anybody watch a scum show like Videodrome? Why did you watch it, Max? Business reasons. Sure. What about the other reasons? Max Wren is a victim. I woke up with a headache. He has been exposed to Videodrome. I've been hallucinating for a while, ever since... What? Since I first saw Videodrome. His brain is already receiving video images. I think that massive doses of Videodrome signal will ultimately produce and control hallucination to the point that it will change human reality. Soon, his visions will coalesce and become uncontrollable flesh. Videodrome is seducing Max Wren. Come to me now. Come to Nikki. And Max Wren can do nothing to stop it. What makes you think I need help? None of our test subjects has returned to normality. Television can change your mind. Videodrome will change your body. Long live the new flesh. It will shatter your reality. Videodrome, starring Deborah Harry and James Woods. A shocking new vision from the creator of Scanners. Coming soon to a theater near you from Universal Pictures. I love that title so much. Videodrome. You gotta say it with a real, like, dramatic flair. Like the guy, like the guy who does the trailer for Creepshow. Like, Creepshow. I mean, like, you're throwing out your hands. Like, a real showmanship vibe to it. Although, this movie is not as fun as Creepshow, I will admit. Came out around the same time, though, roughly. I was surprised, like, having not seen this film before, how many times they say Videodrome in the film. Yeah, because it is a plot device, and they actually give an explanation for it, which is actually really cool that it, doesn't, that it does have an actual meaning within it. Like, something about the mind's eye and that kind of New Age Zen type thing. Yep. Yeah, which is right. super deep. Um, how, many, how many times have you seen this film? About th- two or three. Actually, yeah, three. I've seen it twice a couple years ago, and then I, and I watched it a third time for this podcast a couple days ago before recording. Yeah, that was the first time I saw it, and I I definitely need to see it again to, like, you know, really take I, it in. I remember you said that when we were, when during our screening. Was, it was like, 
I think I mean, I'm going to need to let this one sit for a while, which, hey, no pressure, man. That's, that's what Cronenberg uh, does to people. Oh, yeah, it's been on my mind ever since we watched it a few days ago. Um, but I'm probably going to watch it before the spook season is over. I have a lot of stuff on the docket. I'm going to give it the Universal Monster stuff a rewatch. Finally going to finish uh, my George Romero rewatch. I still haven't seen Day of the Dead. I still can't believe I haven't seen Day of the Dead. I have not either. Yeah, it's all good. Anyway. But anyways, uh, this was this was my first introduction to Cronenberg. Yep, and it's a good. And honestly, I think this is probably the best one to start with. It's either this or the Fly, in my opinion. Sorry, this. Yeah, I, this and the Fly are the only two that I knew a lot about, just having like known of him and his work. I remember uh, Cronenberg. You can cr- divide Cronenberg's career into uh, two halves: the body horror period and the drama period, which is. Roughly speaking, from about 2000 to now, with his last movie being uh, 2014's Master of the Stars, and uh, his body horror period being about 1969 to about 1999, which, hey, that's one hell of a run. Oh, yeah. That's, you know, sometimes as long as most filmmakers' entire career, so. Yeah, I don't think his run is as steady as the much-celebrated John Carpenter run in the 80s, where it was literally a classic every year. 1980, The Fog. 1981, Escape from New York. 1982, The Thing. 1983, Christine. 1984, Starman. 1986, Big Trouble in Little China. 1987, Prince of Darkness. 1988, They Live. All of those came out in one decade. Carpenter was celebrated for a reason, and honestly, if I had to choose the other two, I would pick Carpenter, mainly because he's just been a bigger influence on my style. Around my taste, but I still have a lot of respect for Cronenberg. I think his movie, Cronenberg's are more directly cerebral. Cerebral, I think. Yeah, yeah. They're a heavier watch. Yeah, absolutely. I I would need to you know watch more of the two to really like say, but uh, weren't aren't, weren't they and friends? I really gotta get they... John Carpenter these days. Yeah, you showed me uh you showed me the thing which I which I dug. Um, yeah, the thing, the thing's a classic. We probably we might cover that in January. Might. Yeah. Yeah, First we goddamn week winner. <laughs> yeah, we can anyway, that one around. But yeah. Anyway. Okay, yeah, this 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 film, I'm surprised it took me this long to see it because it has so much that I love. Not only thematically, but philosophically. It's and so rich. And visually, it's like gross and stunning yep. and evocative and just so much. It hits a similar sweet spot for Until the End of the World, where it is definitely of its time, but it is also perfectly ahead of its time. And kind of timeless like, in a combination of the two. I honestly think the truly timeless stuff is the stuff that you can't place in one particular area. Like Peter Greenway movies, or like, there's a song called Golden Brown by the Stranglers that I really like. That that came out in 1981, but it sounds like nothing else you'd hear in 1981. That's my opinion of what's truly timeless, but this is the stuff that ages well. And I don't think it's I think it's fine if you can play something in a particular decade. Hell, that might honestly make it better. But I think that that adds to like the period piece, you know, of its yeah. timeness of the film. Yeah, and, a, and, it's not, you know. and it doesn't detract from the film. And honestly, I think it just kind of shows the sleeves of it all. Like, or like, oh god, one of the like when he's previewing that uh, samurai show for the exec. It is, oh and one gosh. of them says, yeah. "Oriental lovemaking is unnatural." Which, oh, Jesus Christ! Yeah, that is an old. That is an old man line if I've heard it. This film is sleazy in just about every way. Yeah, if there's any part of the podcast that I'm going to cut down, it's probably going to be this part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, sleazy. I wrote that and underlined it yeah. a few times in yeah, my but notes. It's not, but it's not trashy, though. Right? The, no, no. Sleazy, but the movie itself is not. It's not derailed by its sleaziness, but it is 
I don't even argue derailed is the word. The word. I'd, I'm going to say, no, I don't. It's not something like, I don't know, Savage Streets or one of the Grindhouse movies that appear in. Yeah, because it's got a lot more on its mind and it's got a more a more a more mature sensibility in my Yeah, this, this is not Grindhouse. Yeah. Is that yeah, oh definitely not. This is like a very big studio. I remember Universal at the time with along with the thing thing was making a very big per, or a push for mainstream horror, which didn't work out in its favor because some of these did not do well. Like this did not make its budget back, which oh. at least thank god thank God Cronenberg had the dead zone the same year after as this. Right, and he got to do the fly and everything else we love him for now. We know. Yeah, that probably would have tanked his career. It's not that big of a bomb, but but it definitely was enough to well not be considered a profit. Um, yeah, I mean absolutely. Um, it, for those who don't know, the film is about or about a uh, sleazy like UHF like low rent pirate cable uh, programmer or a programmer who stumbles on on uh, material that might be some sort of hardcore or core like violence pornography. The material that may or may not be changing people who watch or watch it and or create it. Yeah, that's that's a great spoiler-free premise of the film. I remember if there's any supplemental material I'd recommend on this film. It's one. There's a great. We watched this on the Criterion Channel. <clears throat> Sponsor Criterion. Yep, you know it. Anyway, there's a great uh, there's a great interview with uh, on there called Fear on Film. It's uh, Mick Garris interviewing uh, John Carpenter, John Landis, and uh, David Cronenberg around the. Roughly around the time the thing's getting shot, but just as Videodrome is work, getting worked on at the same time, too. And all three of them have very insightful material. I'd, it's only 25 minutes. You can find it on YouTube, too. Highly, highly recommend it. Once again, that title is Fear on Film. I just jotted that down, and it uh, yeah. sounds pretty interesting, yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, yeah, I'll, get, we, I will, I'll definitely get back to that interview, because Cronenberg has a lot of stuff that's relevant here. But also, the thing, 80s all over, the February 1983 episode, because they cover that in The King of Comedy and the at the very end, which both have very insightful things about the media at the time and now. Which, that actually, that segment, actually, I showed it to you after we watched the movie. I was worried to cover this. Like, fuck, I don't think I'm going to be able to say anything. Like, I think you more or less the, feels like the final word. Yeah, they they, they covered it all, say, saying pretty much, you know, everything that we have because to say. Because Scott are very, very talented guys at what they're doing. We're just college students, but hey, it's We're fine. having fun. I think... And then I actually, you know, at the day after, right after we watched it, I had a thought. I'm like, these are, right, that was a podcast coming from guys who lived through this and saw change. Right, change. Well, we are very much in the changed world, but it's right, the normal status quo for us. So we don't really know any, we don't have any um, established prior context for the world. And of course, that chain I'm talking about is the internet, which you're talk, they're talking about that people as people who saw the world go for, right, from like TV to the to the internet, right, and talk show, shows go from uh, big studio things that were only available to then to, Something pretty much anyone can make now. Yeah, we now, definitely have a, di- we just, a different point of view from we them. Just grew up, we we grew up with the internet and this increased access to media, so that kind of I don't want to say taints it, but it definitely colors our view of it. Yeah, we we grew up like alongside the internet, I would say. Yeah, it's like talking to my dad and dad about pre nine eleven airport travel. Yeah, air travel, travel like it's just here's the thing: we're either way too young to remember what happened, or we were born so far after that it just uh, is rendered moot to us. This isn't to say that isn't a tragedy, obviously. Really, I feel like I should preface that really quick. No, no, no. It's just a it's different just point of view. It's fucked up way we as human beings experience time. Indeed. Something like this, like, you mentioned, like, if this were made now, right now, this would be like the, right, like, instead of UHF channels, it would be like the deep web or something. Yeah. Yeah, or like the, the dark web. Um, totally. Which, honestly, made me think, like, that would be cool and all, but I, it also made me dread thinking about what this material would be like in the hands of a lesser filmmaker. Yeah, or 
I don't know. Yeah, yeah just someone not as experienced. And uh, yeah, I, I'm dreading like the Blumhouse version of this. Oh no. Let's hope. Let's hope this doesn't get remade. Let's hope. Yeah, I, I doubt it will. Um, yeah, stuff like this, like remakes. We'll get to this more when we get to Dune and uh, the Solaris episode next month, or in a month. But I, th- or I think the platonic ideal for a remake is something that or he takes an original I- an idea and goes a completely different direction, which is one of the reasons I loved Vanilla Sky so much. But anyway, one of the reasons I'd say stuff like this does not warrant a remake because it is completely of its time, and everything that makes it special is because of when it was produced. Absolutely. And like the and premise wouldn't and stuff like that, like the Atari cartridges laying around in the or in the UHA television, the story itself, it just does not function in 2020. Yeah. The premise would have to, to be altered for it to work because like of the, good God, the, like how or like how much uh, James Woods evades the cop when cops like di- like a couple days after he was reported for well, spoilers, or for the ending early on, but fuck it. And when he shoots down his uh, boardroom of executives. Like, yeah, yeah, no, that that manhunt would be a lot shorter. Not only the premise would have to change due to the technology shift um, from then and now, but like, yeah, you know, he couldn't evade the cops, and like, there would be so many like cell phones would ruin so much of this. Yeah, like it's why I think I was so hesitant when I heard about that big Trouble in Little China remake with The Rock, which I'm not even sure is still happening anymore, is because that's a joke that they did so right the first time that you're not going to be able, no matter how hard you try or how hard you bring your go, you're just not going to be able to escape that shadow. I embarrassingly have not seen that, that film. That is a comfort movie for me, so we will get around to that when I show you more John Carpenter. Cool. And it's definitely something we'll cover on this podcast. It fits our forte very well. Nice. Anyway, still though, I mentioned that Cronenberg did this the same year as Dead Zone, which both of which in my mind are ba- are classics. Although I do like Dead Zone just just a little more. This is more has more to say on a subtextual level, but that right, but that is just such a strong story, and also Christopher Walken. The ice is gonna break. Oh, love that man. Yep, gotta love Christopher Walken. Anyways, where where do you want to like go? Where, I have I have so much to talk about. I was gonna say, film. I remember one, another thing that I was actually quite happy to hear you talk about with this is like we should talk about subtextual meanings more in films, like deep, or you know, like deeper themes and what they mean, and not just like technical stuff, which I wholeheartedly agree with, and I think we have touched on it to an extent. But if we're going to yeah. go deep, like really deeper into it, I don't think we can find a better starting place than this. Absolutely. Yeah, I think we've mainly covered um, like the technical aspects of the films. Yeah. Like how, how, how pretty the cinematography is and whatnot, right now, and sound design, and, and of course, obviously music, since both of us are big music heads. Yeah, which definitely deserves recognition, but uh, yeah, I think which, we, should, we could branch out. Yeah. And there's so much yeah, more to be talked about about these, about these films. Anyways, like my first note is. Uh, a, 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 te- a technical note, um, specifically about the writing. Um, I like in the very beginning how we get all the exposition through that interview they have um, with Max and the I forgot Brandon. the his Nikki. girlfriend. Yes. Yeah, played um, by Deborah, lead singer of Blondie, who oh, uh, wow. we definitely get back to because man, oh man, she's not in a lot of this movie, but God, does she devour this movie whole and and insult the earth after burning it away. She is phenomenal in this. Phenomenal actor. Actress, yes, absolutely. And we see Dr. Oblivion. This is one of her few big roles. She was, again, mostly known as a a rock star. She was great in this. We're going to talk about, again, we're going to get, we've talked about it before and we'll talk about it again later, but one of the things that's fascinating me, and I'm not sure if Chandler, you agree on this, is how 
how rock stars are used on film, like especially in this period, like the, by these kind of filmmakers, is because it's not all that common, but but it's enough to have a precedent. And whenever it does happen, you're bound to have something interesting. Um, no, but I like the the exposition dump that we got because it was so sneaky and clever. Yeah. Like um, even just like the opening scene where when we see him wake up in his apartment and just what he does. Right, like again, well, one the Civic TV logo, which is great. Right, that little like Hallmark card looking illustration with the one you take to bed with you, which is kind of the case now. Now that you think about oh, it, yeah. And the just the, the God, how many people? How many people I know like leave podcasts running in the background is no, white noise before they go to sleep. And we'll we'll get we'll we'll get back to the the contemporary you know contrasts of the technology. Um, oh yeah, totally. Um, no, but I do love like the the televisions in this film, just how grainy and digital they look. It makes it so of its time, but like that early VHS look like that wood paneling and the knobs. Oh yeah, and like the just the grain, like the digitized grain. It's a very analog film, which I yeah. It's yeah. an analog film that's about that's in fear of a digital world, which fitting. Yeah, very fitting, I think. Chronicles. But I think I think it adds to the like horror aspect because the, the picture looks so much yeah. more hypnotizing, you know? And less yeah, and the use of God, the lighting in James Wood's apartment alone, or alone in the effects, which we will definitely get back to the Rick Baker effects because holy shit! Oh yeah, so much to cover there. Baker, but, I mean, Rick, his, Rick Baker is famous for a reason, but I think some of his best work is in this movie. On, it's incredibly creative visually, really, visually, and it burns its way into your mind whether you want it to or not. And it adds to the storytelling, so it's not just visuals for the sake of visuals. Yeah. It, well, yeah. practical both in the sense of practical effects, but practical as in it has a, a, a clear purpose. Yes. And going back to his apartment, I think his apartment, the production design of his apartment adds to both the storytelling and the development of his character. Just the little notes, the little notes he Woods plays in that opening when he just wakes up and he's in his bathrobe and he's looking through photos for work and he leaves like a pizza grease on it. Like he just, like how sloppy he is. He like, I think it's established from frame one that this guy is a sleazebag. And he has a little, uh, a, a, Photograph of like Hitler as a ballerina, which I think is which is what a bizarre little touch in the background. <laughs> What's weirder, that or the Nazi nightmare sequence from American Werewolf in London? That which uh, I have not seen it might be weirder because it's so just. Once you watch American Werewolf in London, you'll know what I mean. You'll know. I'm writing it down right now. Anyway, anyway, back to the apartment thing. Also, I remember that Twitter account I showed you a while ago, uh, Cocaine Decor. Yes, this one. A good chunk of this movie is peak cocaine decor. <laughs> that '80s like pol- with like polished surfaces, like what, like fuzzy tile ba- background. Rounds like everything looks like a set of when it's off the set of Miami Vice. Yeah, very of its time. And God, I I miss architecture from this period so much. Just like the slickness of it. Yeah. Like how how modern the 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 term modern in regards yeah. to interior design changes. I think that's pretty fascinating. Yeah. Most- Anyways, um, I also like going back to that, you know, the interview in the very beginning of the film. I love how it, it's so open of its discussion of deep ideas. I think yeah. that's just. But it's not, it's not preachy to you. No, it's which, not preachy. Which I think I love about the film. All. The film's more than a little moralistic. Like, again, if, again, in the hands of any other filmmaker, this could have gone horribly wrong. Like, this could have been preachy, like television bad. Like it, and like if this, like the bad version of this movie would be like the love child of uh, Jack Thompson and Tipper Gore. 
philosophically speaking. Yeah, but thankfully, it's a lot more nuanced than that because it doesn't. Yeah, it, yeah. It's, and like, more about, the... it's more about how we use the technology, not how the technology changes us, although that is most certainly a part of it. Yes. But like going back to that interview, it's the characters telling their moral and philosophical beliefs and how they contrast with each other, and which, you know, is an undercut of the entire film. But it's this not preachy. Right, coming back to a lot, but the part where David Harry says, We live in overstimulated times. Oh yeah. And that's fucking hell. Could, he was could right not on the be, Could not be yeah. more true today. That, seriously, though, think about or about again eighty two. The internet was barely a, th- or a thing. Like home computers were still a new thing for people. You know, the internet wouldn't become like, ubiquitous until at least the late ninety, right? Not nineties, which and again, a lot of the media you consumed was very closed off from each other. Like you might not have been watching the same things as everyone else, else unless it was on national TV. Right? TV like niche wasn't exa- allowed to flourish yet. Or, yeah. So I don't think we got right. So it felt small. It was a word that felt overall smaller. I'd say the over our our age is at least five times overstimulated as they were in '82 when this was filmed. Absolutely, and hell, I'm right. Hell, I'm definitely a product of this because of how often I have music and podcasting whenever I'm working. Working, it's become like a, th- a fourth essential besides food, water, and shelter. Yeah, like how you know when we hang out as friends, like everyone's on their phone, and there's TV and music playing in the background. There, there always has yeah. to be more than one there input. Going. Or yeah, there has to be that constant little electric current. Yeah, at least one. Yeah, which if I'm not, not sure that's know, entirely a good or bad thing. Thing, and I'm glad the movie is just as inconclusive because. Yeah. All it's certain you... of is that things are changing, and that I mean, the world is going to feel a hell of a lot different very soon. Mm-hmm. And like you know, yeah. which I think every year. Yeah, the social commentary in this is this movie. I think is a textbook example of how to do social commentary, especially within genre context. And well, exactly. And it's it's a social commentary subject that I just love so, so much. Well like the yeah. the ever presence of technology. That is oh, that's just yeah, right up it, my alley. It feels so fitting that I saw this around the same. I mean, around the same time, Annihilation came out. Uh, because both have I mean, a, a very classic sci-fi idea you know, as I, I mean, in re- regards to man's relationship with technology, but it's not as old, I mean, draconian or old ha- as it's just that it, we are dampering in God's domain. It's just, it's just kind of inevitable that this is going to happen. Heaven, although that's more of a, I want to say, like, out there, a heady, and heady less inconclusive, and this is a lot more specific in its I mean, grounding. Like, that's, that's more nature I and mean, esoteric focus. This is a lot... Definitely a lot more in computer electronics and a very urban environment. Yeah, like how um, in the the uh, damn I don't know what the technical term for it is, but like the not the homeless shelter, but when they uh, they offer free food at the you know at that church. Not yeah, only... like I think like a test site, I guess. Since we're in, since they're testing, or in, since they're um, using using them as base, basically lab rats just to see how this works. Yeah, no, it was it was a test site, but it was like a a food bank. That's what it's called. Yeah, um, kind of, more or less. Yeah, more yeah or less. like a food bank where they not not only did they offer food to the homeless, but television. Yeah, as the, as a way of keeping them up with the world. Which yeah, that remi- that be, speaking of things that we're incorporating now, it reminds me of how li- public libraries. Are, one of the reasons those are still important now is that those that's the only way some people can get access to the internet. Yeah, it's the same concept. Yeah, which. Fuck, I didn't even think about that. Thank you for bringing that up. I'm like, yeah. 
it's a movie that is surprisingly rewarding to rewatches. I think. Yeah, it, I'm definitely gonna rewatch it sometime this week. Like a lot of thrillers, it's it's not. I mean, it's hard to watch the same way twice because. Look, they, again, this is pointed out in the 80s all over episode, but one of the ideas that I love about the, or this and just thrillers in general is when you watch it one way, it's definitely, it's suspenseful because or because you don't know what's going to happen. And then the next few rounds, it's suspenseful entirely because you know what's going to happen. Yeah, and like this, the, fir- the first time you're you're riding it along with the character, like, you know, learning things as they do. Yeah, but then you're like, oh, no. No, which I think is actually kind of brilliant. And it... Thrillers are surprisingly rewatchable is one of the things I'm glad I learned this year. Yeah, totally. They, they point again, I think it was Drew that pointed out on the 80s all over podcast. It was, he said this movie is like a trap going around him, which I can't think of a better analogy. It feels Yeah. Speak, yeah. Speaking of the, tra- the trap theme, um, it reminded me a lot of uh, The Call of Cthulhu. Have you read that? Yeah, H.P. Lovecraft. Yeah, I'm familiar. Yeah. Where, like, you know, to an extent, um, I don't think there's very a lot of Lovecraft influence in this movie. No, I mean, there's no body horror stuff. I mean, but I can I get the comparison. I get the. I'll loan you the um, Call of Cthulhu. I have like a uh, Lovecraft collection. Um, but no, just just read Call of Call of Cthulhu because it has a similar theme of like you know once you hear about Videodrome, the idea slowly consumes you and lets you into its yeah. world and you can't. I was escape I was going to say, I, there's a reason I bring up Carpenter in comparison to this is, one, the obvious similarities that, that between this and They Live, although that's more about consumerism than t- television specifically, although it is an important part. And you also mentioned uh, in Lovecraft, he also tackles that kind of idea, idea of like the, the media as insidious and kind of brainworm as in, uh, in the Mouth of Madness, which he made in the mid-90s, with Sam Neill. Nice. And a year after Jurassic Park came out. Yep. Interesting. No, but um, yeah, I I I saw a connection there, but like yeah. like the way Lovecraft, video drum influenced so much work in science fiction and horror that that's just in. Oh yes, yeah. Like, I I read him last summer, and I'm so glad I did because I was able to you know see the connections and uh, yeah, uh homages. And since you really dug Mandy, I gotta right to say you gotta check out Color Out of Space. That was that was definitely a trip. I'm jotting it down right now. Anyway, one of the I, mean, like, I love. Go ahead. I love the. I mean, one of the another a small thing about the, this movie that's of its time is the trailer. It looks like old, like a video game and a, arcade commercials. I mean, like with all these graphics that aren't even in the final movie. It's great, and also for some reason ends with the Tangerine Dream Thief score, which is a much more common thing than you'd think. I.e., trailers using scores from other movies. Good God, how many '90s action movies use that one James Horner cue from Aliens? And then two thousands movies that use Foo Fighter songs. Oh yeah, and that one track from Sunshine that keeps showing up. That even shows up in Kick Ass, and I think the trailer for Days of Future Past. I can see it. Um, another another like reference. Uh, not yeah, like the the Lovecraft reference. You know, it was obviously written prior to this film because I think you know it was. Yeah, like decade, um, at least took, decades. Yeah, I think he took influence from that short story obviously but i think a craft maybe not maybe not but it it reminded me a lot of like how the you know mythos of cthulhu consumed the main character very very similar um similarly to how um, video germ consumes max in this film but i think like a and in um, case literally with the uh with the scene that is probably the most famous because it's it's on the criterion cover it's the one that people 
Ryan usually think of. It's the living TV. The part the part where he starts hallucinating with video drum, which speaking of move or of scenes you can you when you could teach a class on that side of the interview scene, of course, is this because it's a, a textbook example of great effects work. It's the sound design is great. Really great because he, right, it's a great subtle signal of how the right, the uh, right, thing is starting to take control of him because at first it sounds like standard analog, analog grainy audio, but then it becomes a lot clearer once it actually starts speaking to him. Right, it sucks his face in, and it's yeah. just an awesome Which visual effect. Yeah, it is, yeah. yeah. I love I it's the same th- technique they used for the original Nightmare on Elm Street with uh, Freddy pushing through the wall where they just had like a sheet of I, not plexiglass, what it, some sort I think some sort of tarp. I don't remember the material. And for the TV static, to be honest, I guess it was just either opticals or rear projection. I don't yeah, know exactly. He I'd puts be his hand through it. He puts his hand through the TV, yeah. and it like bounces back. And I think that's a. And the way like the top of it is like, or is like growing veins, and it's like thr- pulsating. It's just. It's oh, it's just, so creepy. It's surreal, and I'm not sure if it's convincing, but it's, it gets under your skin. He did the thing, right? Part, yeah, he he actually no, that was Rob Bottin. Okay. Rick Baker uh, did a lot of other. He did Gremlins too. He did uh, the the Wolfman with Benicio del Toro. He did a lot of. I mean, he's done a lot of stuff you'd recognize. Let's. Yeah. It, again, way too many. I mean, he also did Harry and the Hendersons, the Men in Black movies, the Peter Jackson King Kong. Let's see here. And what else? What else he did? I think he did the Gore Verbinski the Ring. He he worked on the Thriller music video, which you've anyone listening to this is almost definitely seen. Yeah. He did the Funhouse for Toby Hooper, which is very underrated. Which, huh. A lot of th- things. It reminds me of a film fest I went to a couple years ago where I we I watched the Dead Zone for the first time there. That was their surprise screening. We also watched In the Mouth of Madness, and uh, we also watched The Fun House, which is Rick Baker. So so many connections I'm just seeing right now. Yeah. What yeah. What was the visual effects that got you the most in this film? Like stuck like struck me the most, or were the most unsettling? Both. Probably the TV scene again. It's either that or the or, or the bar where the gun is like fusing to his body. Right, where it looks like it's drilling into it, and like the skin is like wrapping around it, like some sort of cocoon. Yeah, might, just the drill part alone looks like the most cyberpunk thing to not be in an actual cyberpunk thing. Or in yeah. story. No, I, it's it's symbolic because it's biomechanical. His, his, yeah, his body's merging with technology and vice versa. Yeah, it's weird that David Cronenberg never did, did an adaptation of like Neil Stevenson or William Gibson because it feels like when he'd really be into cyberpunk. I mean, he just waited a couple more years. Like, well, the the visual effect that got me the most the the most evocative and kind of beautiful I would say is definitely the TV set where he puts his face in it, but the one that just disturbed me the most and still does is the the uh, the chest. You mean the chest meat flaps? Yes, the vaginal chest canal. I yeah, I didn't think it was sexual in like a um, like a sensual way, but sexual but in like, creepy, a dis- like, H, like H.R. Geiger. Yeah, like a disturbing sexual. Yeah, like um, sexual. Yeah, it's which is just it's just. There's yeah. a oh yeah, there's a lot yeah. of shit in it. Like you remember we were gonna you know, lately we've been watching stuff at my place instead of your roommates. Like yeah, thank God for this because they would probably wow. be horrified. Oh yeah, they would not. They would not be down for this film. <laughs> yeah, I was actually watching uh, like breakdown videos of it. Um, once I got back and one of them walked in, they were like, "What the hell, dude." <laughs> Um, yeah, I was gonna say this is gonna right, like. There's reasons I've learned as I got older, or when I was in high school, just don't watch certain shit around my parents because yeah. I'm just gonna get lo- judgmental looks. Same, same I concept. Tell you the story of the time I took them to see Swiss Army Man. Oh wow, that's a great film. We should cover yeah. that. 
But uh, yeah, it would led to a lot of awkward conversations afterwards. <laughs> anyway, great film. And also, there here's a subtle bit of symbolism I actually noticed. I found was interesting on this viewing. You ever notice that the only time like cigarettes and alcohol and like any sort of other like physical like chemical vice is taken is by people who are already either are about to be or already consumed by videodrome interesting like james woods is constantly smoking and him when you're drinking like when nikki smoke debbie Aries character smokes like even other and the old yeah. woman yeah interesting oh yeah of course. who we know we see in one scene and then never again well she she actually shows up briefly in uh you know like when he's no, twice actually. When he's beating, um, who he thinks is Nikki, but it turns into the old woman, and then she's in the bed. You know. Yeah. God, it's that's such a creepy. All right. God, like the way he shows. And also another thing, and if we can go back to that interview scene for a moment. Uh, Absolutely. Probably the best character in this movie, Professor Brian Oblivion, which such a great character name. Oh, totally. Yep. Yeah. But I yeah. I love how, like, he has to say, too, right? Like, we're also, and like, you're talking about we have simulated times, and like, even James Wood stuff, how he's talking about, right? About like, we're offering a, right? Offering like an escape of sort, right? So it's like a healthy catharsis for violent and sexual need, need, which is a legitimate argument that, right? I've heard heard in the debate of whether or not violence in media has a correlation to real life stuff, which, if you know, or if you, or if you're smart enough to know, it's obviously not the case, but. Unfortunately, we still keep having this fucking conversation. Yeah. I, I was watching a Wisecrack um, breakdown of this, which I will send you. Um, but they, they said that Dr. Oblivion was a stand-in for a... Um, a I, I, I forgot his name, and I feel terrible Timothy for... Leary? I wouldn't be shocked at all if it was Timothy Leary. No, it started with an M. He was like a... Uh, he was a media philosopher or something, or... Sorry, his name started with an M. I am going to look it well, up. Real yeah, quick. just let it come to you, and you. We'll get back to that. Anyway. Yeah, we'll other, get back to that. Uh, it is, I'd say, one of, or in, again, I hate to go back to that 80s all over one, but they really, really nail or in, or in what, or in why and how this movie is as good as it is in a very short amount of time, actually, considering. Yep. They're very to the point with it. Anyway, one of the things they me- mentioned is also how, or in how the guy, or in guys who sell Videodrome talk like drug dealer. Or anything like that, or that, and how it is just like this, which is no stranger to or him, considering how many people have speculated that the fly is a metaphor for like drug or like drug abuse or the AIDS crisis. I like watching, like watching someone like think, like to have a chemical dependency and just watching them rot in front of you. Yeah, it's uh, I mean, this is the only film of his that I've seen, but I know a good bit about the fly. Um, Trust me, you're really not like the fly. You're really. It's it's. I love how he weaves, you know, social commentary into science fiction, and it's and not. Bit, I don't, I'm not sure this was intentional, but you know the helmet he has to wear, like that big ass thing that look, or that looks like some, or like some sort of Viewmaster crossed with like a, an original Mac, or like yes. one from the view when they still came in different colors. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's basically VR. Oh, but totally. Here's the thing, and, and I bring that up because movies about VR from time usually were really goofy and didn't nail it at all i mean like still remind me to tell you about shit like brain scan sometime or the lawnmower man which boy that is a rough watch interesting title another thing like if i can go back to what video drum means i don't remember the exact definition say but it reminds me a lot of the joy division song shadow play which 
it, it's a cool title, but they also give a re thing with in the shadow play acting out your own death waiting for you and that kind of thing. Like in this, the video drum, like the whole, or in the eye, or in being the window to the mind, or in mind and the soul and whatnot, and this being a more, or in a, basically an evolution of that. It's creepy, but it's fascinating. It's yeah, I can see this movie, you know, thematically, it's very Joy Division. Yeah, it, it is very doom and gloom. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Speaking um, of that that, I mean, that trade show at the end, I mean, the end looks like a, a Ren fair across with a burlesque. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's like the worst coked up Renaissance fair I've ever seen. <laughs> Oy vey. This movie, I'm not sure if I'd give it like a perfect 10 like a lot of other people would, but God, it, it you have to admire it just for the balls it took to make it and how... How much, how real and, and resonant it still feels to this day. Oh, totally. Um, it, it, it honestly scared me in a sense of how on point it was. Um, yeah, that's what I find more scary about horror movies. It's less visuals, although those can really be, more ideas are what scared me. Oh, totally. Yeah, it's, it scared me in the sense of how on point it was, um, like yeah. talking about today. And, you know, it came out. Which again, why the thing works? Forty years ago. It's scary because yeah, and, um, yeah, about four, almost forty now. Yeah, yeah, it's God. It, it's weird to think that the eighties really were that long ago. Yeah, it is time. Um, man. Uh, also, Brian Oblivion, which the movie, mean, he is kind of the movie's thesis, I mean, a thesis statement, more or less, in just one character. And again, we get his deal, and he only has a few minutes of screen time. God, I love this. Is one of the best horror scripts I've ever read. Read. It's just, it's so smart. And the movie's, it's less than ninety minutes. It gets, it, it throws so much at you, but it never, but it feels well streamlined. Like it's so well, it's well paced. It's so, it's so well thought out. Right out. It feels like a really complete vision. Absolutely, I could tell. You know, this is the film he wanted to make. Um, yeah. And like the, the everything's kind of thrown at you so fast that say fast because again, I mean, but it feels like a lot. It feels like a lot, but it is. Yeah, I mean, it, and it is, but I mean, it do, it doesn't feel that way when you're watching it. It just it feels like a steady stream. Yes, and that that makes me want to watch it again. You know, just to, to really. I really want to analyze the script for this because this is just. Yeah, if you if you find a copy of it, send it to me because I would I would love to read it as well. Right. Um, it's the kind of thing you should teach in horror movies, in science fiction horror. Yes, yes, definitely. Um, which I, I love that uh, mix of genres, science fiction and horror. Uh, because little, yeah. it's, it's, tr it's uh, because attempted it be a lot, but when done successfully, it yeah. is just groundbreaking. Yeah. But right. it's and pretty it's, rare. It's not only groundbreaking, but it ends up being, honestly, some of my heart, favorite horror movies are sci-fi. My favorite horror is the stuff that usually is horror is like a speculative thing, thing in the way like the best science fiction knows in a way that it is to study human beings. Like it's one of the reasons I love Phantasm so much. Which, I mean, if there's one Halloween double feature I love, it's Phantasm and um, Eraserhead because both are in study like fear and anxiety through very specific like points in human life. Like, like uh, Phantasm tackles it from a very adolescent like this is what's scary to a kid, or a kid in that moment in time, but in the Eraserhead plays on very adult fears. It's a really interesting contrast, and this horror, I think, is an underrated tool as I, mean, I don't want to say not as social commentary, but as like speculative fiction. 
Yeah, I think uh, science fiction is underrated as a use of social commentary as well. Well, science fiction is probably the main genre of social commentary as, like, genre filmmaking. Yeah, but, like, done successfully is pretty rare. Because we talk about how horror gets to us, but we don't think about the broader implications of that, which I, which I think is why I love it. Again, ideas are what scares me more than anything in horror. Yes. I think this movie takes... And it's still visually, and it's still incredibly visually creative and smart, and smart and well cut, and well cut, and it looks great. It for a movie that's only like less than six million, it still looks fantastic. And it hides its budget really well. Oh yeah, I was surprised when you told me that it was only six million. Cityscape shot, shot some decent set pieces that actually don't don't have a lot of moving pieces to them. If you think about it. And it's again, it's all the little details that add to a lot. It's so many. Um, like thematically, this film is just so rich, and probably the richest um, horror f- film that I've seen, like philosophically rich speaking. Um, it really, really struck a chord with me with my uh, technophobia. It, 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 and that, that's truly what scared it's me. Technophobia, but not in a way that's paranoid or preachy. You're like, yeah, like yeah. terrible yeah. movies about the internet, like the lifetime. Or I mean, like that kind of stuff, like cyberbullying, light I and mean, cyber seduction, all that crap. That's no, no. I mean, like but, this again. It's well thought about. It's not saying that. I mean, again, there I and mean, there is something to be said about how technology changes us, but it's how we I mean, use the technology, and it's more about it's more um yin and yang. Yes. Speak, even more like a a utopian dystopian sense. Yeah. Stop. The the reason stories like this fail or I mean, fail. And fail is because it, it's mostly about the technology, but it's not written by people who understand the technology or have outright contempt for it. Yeah. In which the hu- they're forget pardon the phrase the human factor. That's what they meant, and this has it in most in mostly ways that are contemptful, but still understandably so. Yeah. Would Would you think this influenced Black Mirror? Oh, definitely. I I yeah. have to imagine Charlie Brooker is a big fan of this. Oh, totally. Anyway, another. Also, the, again, speak, going back to the budget here, the production of the design of this is so good. We talked about his apartment already, but that red room where Videodrome is filmed is so creepy and like it's distinct and unsettling. Even though it's like threadbare, it's just like a big, wide open red space, like clay walls and like this really shiny tile floor and this black carpet. It's not much, but it it burns its way in your skull. And yeah, and like kind of the, the brick. I think there were like bricks on the. On yeah. the walls, it, it it was like Lynchian, but like you know yeah. European torture dungeon. Yeah, that, that whole or that whole kind of South European look. Yeah, and it's really. And also, I made this joke to you while we were watching, but this is easily a better movie about BDSM than Fifty Shades of Grey will be will ever. Yeah, it, there's there's a lot of themes of you know pain, that, and pleasure, that sadomasochism. Good God, the part where we're aware of Debbie Harry's putting the cigarette to her breath. Impressed oh. at how she gets into it because she she uses it some sort of kick. Yeah, and they you know he pierces her ear with that needle. Thank good God, her and I I'm fascinated with the Debbie Harry character performance in this so much, much because she and even in the movie she feels like she's not really there. They're like yeah. she's like a ghost the whole time, and even later on she you don't know where she stands on the and things like is she good is she bad and bad like she's just this ethereal pre like is or an Ella giant presence. I think going back to like when she puts the cigarette on her and like uh, yeah. when they push the needles in each other and she like asks to be cut with a Swiss Army knife. I think that goes back to the overstimulation. They're not yeah. just satisfied with like we're just when they have sex. Pushing the edge for, sake, for the sake of pushing the edge because 
that's the thing about addiction that get when that gets for people like when you think when you think you can manage it well and do moderation but you really can't bring in every random time it's just, the normal dose is just not going to do it for you you got you got to keep pushing that boundary or in boundary just to see how far you can take it yeah you get, just it's want a, something stronger it's and harder oh it is do you think this film um one of the themes of this film is addiction. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I think it's not one of the, right, one of the uh, themes at the forefront, but I think it's definitely there. We talk about it later. Like again, the fly is arguably, and like, and not just like heroin and stuff like that, but like you know, like steroids and that kind of thing. Since steroids, considering how those were uh, very big in the eighties, <clears throat> for obvious reasons. For, yes. I think drugs and in also, general. Um, and more. more and more to the point, and uh, definitely uh, tactilely with uh, Naked Lunch, which he would do in uh, 91. Yep. Which I sure. would like to see as yeah, well. Definitely crazy, like, the bug, like the cockroach that turns into the typewriter. Ooh. Gross. Lunch. The movie more so than bug, which... Yeah, I'm gonna say something that's really controversial for, li- for literary snobs here. I fucking hate the book. I like the movie a lot, but the book is just complete nonsense. Yeah, my roommate um, freshman year had to read it for an English class, and he said it was weird, but that I would like it. Um, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I, maybe, I'm very maybe. intrigued. It's, it's a really, uh, I don't know. It's not, I don't want to say intense, but it's a lot. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's polarizing, that's for sure. Okay, okay. I think. I, I, um, one of the. Ten, I think. Go ahead. Go ahead. What would you rate this out of ten? Um, as a first viewing, I would say a solid eight, but I'm sure that would increase upon for, subsequent viewings. I'm gonna say it has for me definitely because first time I saw it, like I give it a seven, then the second time an eight. I think I'm gonna give it a nine now. God, it gets so much better with each viewing. Which is something I was worried about. I mean, which I'm so happy this movie exists. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Um, one thing I think would increase upon subsequent viewings and just one thing i like about this film in general is how it makes you question the reality of what you're seeing at a certain point i think that is going back to james wood's performance is that like he's clearly a scumbag like we mentioned and arguably scumbag in real life considering how much of a mega chud he is on twitter these days but i mean but that is neither here nor there but one of the things i noticed about this is how much it slowly dawns on him that he's wondering is something awful well, I'll, I mean, but you can't tell if he, I mean, he's either I mean, skeptical of that or wants to embrace it until, like, the very end. I mean, like, that temptation is always I mean, pu- push and pull with him, and it's really fascinating to watch. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a great performance, you know? Yeah, it is. It's it's a great performance for a character that you don't, that you're not really supposed to like, you know? Yeah, not, no one's all that likable, which I'm fine, which is one of the things that annoys me about Modern Thing is that we have to like everyone. We shouldn't. It's yeah, that is toxic for good storytelling. I mean, for create for creativity in general, honestly, is that we have to put things in a box, which we because it prevents stuff like this from getting out into the wild. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, but I love how this film makes you question the reality of what you're seeing. Um, yeah. and like it, it did it for me, like you know, about halfway through. But I'm sure if I like you know if I see it again. Or more than once, um, I mean, like more than twice, it would happen earlier where you question what you're actually seeing. And I think that's so creative and yeah. intuitive. It's such a great little, t- it's just such a great little tightrope to walk. 
nails it. And yeah, then, yeah. Like I love when films, um, you know, like they'll they'll tell a character will tell a story, and then we'll watch that story, and then when it cuts back, you forget that they were telling a story. I absolutely love when films do that. Well, one of the, the notes I made was again. I mean, one of the th- things I find interesting is how you and I see this in a in a in a post-internet world or in a world where things things have changed. How we are literally in an overstimulated time is Cronenberg saw rot in a world that you and I see as the normal status quo. Yes, which I don't want to say Cronenberg I, is Nostradamus, but God, it, he really did see a lot of this coming. Absolutely, especially it might not get it gets the idea even if it doesn't get the aesthetic or what it'll look like. It gets yeah, yeah. The same with until the end of the world. I think it did that. But like when um one thing that like really just hit me especially and I told you um was when in the beginning in the main interview when uh Doctor Oblivion um was saying that like we'll have internet names or like we'll have digital names. Yeah, like and it's like yeah, it's what we have with usernames now on Twitter and in social media. It's, yeah. I was like, yeah. whoa. And user and like anonymity. And like a whole yeah, yeah. yeah. And like we'll, we'll have di- digital personas, which yeah. essentially he has the entire film because he's only shown on on a screen. Yeah, he's shown on television on television. Which is, I think, just so creative. Inception. Yeah, yeah. Enter Hans Zimmer Bois here. Bois. He's, in, <laughs> he's in an entirely digital person, which I think yeah. like the, the library – even when he's technically alive, is withdrawn from the rest of the human experience. Yeah, but and, uh, like and directly interact with anyone. I was thinking about it like he had he recorded the segment of him meeting Max without ever meeting Max, you know. And it implied he that, that he was, was already he was already dead by the time Max saw it. Yeah, so the the last yeah his last tape was the, was the first one uh, where he he introduced himself to Max because he you know. Uh, was killed in that one but i think like the the library of him in vhs form is like i think that's shown better then because now it would be like he'd be on like a hard drive or something which yeah. wouldn't be as cool of an image yeah, yeah it wouldn't be like that sharing that feeling you get from like a walls upon walls it's like this is a person's life captured in a physical in like a digital form yeah and it's yeah. a great image and I think what, again, another, I think when he's when key to why the movie doesn't feel so preachy or it feel preachy or or outdated or condescending or technology bad like boomer and like that whole like any like a boomer Facebook meme and is because again, Videodrome was created with good intentions, the actual like station and but it was manipulated by well corporate interests who saw a market, which or they can kill the people who watched it. To yeah. like you know purify they society. They use it. They use it for the worst possible and and. Yeah, the but the, the the original intent was to transcend the physical. Yeah, like consciousness, which is why I, I, think, I think, think why I think I brought up Timothy Leary, which is. Yeah, yeah, which I love that idea and that how that idea is used on film. Um, a breakdown video I saw by, by Wisecrack by Wisecrack was um they. Reference uh, Acura. I don't know if that's the correct pronunciation. Yeah, but, yeah which I I would love to see now that. Yeah, yeah, which I would love God, to see I, now that I know about it. Now that Have you mentioned that, it? I want to bring up a little gripe really quick because they just uh, remastered it in 4K. Or I think it's a 4K restoration recently, and they were screening it in, in uh, across the country. I couldn't find showtimes in my area, and I'm so mad because 
if there's any animated movie that is demanding to be on big seen on a big screen, it's this. Yeah, and I I would love to see that. Um, but it, anyway. that it has a, a similar theme of like body horror and the yeah. transcendence of oh, yeah. the physical reality. Through I also digital. recommend if you like that, uh, Tetsuo the Iron Man, which covers a lot of similar ground and is a lot more grimy. Like imagine that, but cross like, yeah, like not not that, but it's more technophobic, and, like biomechanical, and like. I'd nice. love to have a conversation with people like William Gibson or Neil Stevenson whether or not this is punk because it's not about computers, but it definitely has that whole man's relationship with technology in the physical I mean, like connectivity sense. Like Elon Musk. Yeah, perhaps. <laughs> or like body modification and whatnot. Yeah. Anyway, it's funny you mentioned a movie from 1998 because the movie, honestly, from that decade that is probably in common with is They Live, the John Carp. Although that is more about consumerism at large and how it Right, and more about alien and stuff like that, and how uh, capitalism is inherently, um, I don't want to say predatory, but but kind of leeching system. You know, they live, we sleep. It all, it has some very uh, similar, it, it's of a similar mind to this, but that's more, but it's a lot more palatable, I think, to a mainstream audience. It has stuff like kick ass chew bubblegum line, it's got more action into it. It's more, it's more darkly humorous than this is. Good God, that ending. Nice. Scott. It's definitely definitely on my list. Yeah, they they live. That was my first John. Car- right. This I think. Yeah, the fly was my first Cronenberg, but the they live was my first Carpenter, and it God, it was a great one to start out with. Nice. It was either that or Big Trouble in Little China because I think my dad showed me Little China. Yeah. Uh, you know. Anyway, which I think segues us ni- nicely into what else we've seen this week. I last night I actually rewatched um, one of my favorite films, um, Moonrise Kingdom, which I showed one of my roommates, and it was their first time seeing it, and it was just just so heartwarming and so sweet and so fall. It is really lovely. It's top tier Wes Anderson for me, anyway. Totally. I, uh, I've actually done quite a few. A few. I rewatched Psycho, which wow. Speaking of movies that uh, feel or that feel like traps, go and going into them in multiple viewings, which God, there there's. One of the things, another thing that I don't think is talking about enough with horror is how much an iconic status can hurt it. Because something like Psycho is something that should be seen completely fresh-eyed. And if I could go back in time and erase my memory and watch for the first time not knowing anything about it, I absolutely would. Yeah, yeah. Same with the sixth sense, like knowing that. Yeah, I knew the Bruce Willis is a ghost thing going into that, and that made me sad. Yeah, because I feel like that, you know, kind of defeated the purpose, but... Yeah, and not really. I mean, it's obviously, you got to admire the filmmaking, too. Right? too like, there's other stuff to watch it then for the twist, but still, it's a big part of it. Yes. Yeah, but, yeah, I, I love... Psycho is tied with Strangers for a Train for my favorite Hitchcock movie. Strangers on a Train. It's a pretty good for me. Yeah. That's understandable. That's an, yeah, that's usually the big one whenever you talk... It's either that or Rear Window. Or, I yeah. Also, I also... This is gonna make you very happy. Uh, I finally watched Borat. Oh, nice. Speaking of, speaking very of nice. Very, very nice. Very and nice. Terrifying social commentary on modern America. Oh, totally. <laughs> a different, more, more directly satirical lens, which. You know, which we actually I, have a, a poster of it in my apartment. Uh, I, which I saw, by the way, which was really funny. Yeah. A nice little bit of set decoration. Living, living decor. Anyway, I'm gonna try to I, watch the new one. Like there's, yeah. the, the new one's fun. It's 
it does feel a little long. Like I did, I do wish it got cut down a little bit, but otherwise, yeah, it's pretty good. It's got That's some really good gags in there. And so, sadly, the best of which have been uh, spoiled by national news, but that feels kind of inevitable. Oh, well. Yeah. What, I'm, what glad it, I'm just glad it exists. Yes. And another thing I more directly watch in terms of speaking of horror, body horror and such is uh, Daniel Isn't Real. It's about it's about a young uh, college student who, uh, re, who, after suffering some trauma, re, visits his old imaginary friend to help him cope with it. And uh, shit gets weird shortly after. Yeah, I saw that on your litter box, and I uh, I looked it up. It sounds very interesting. Um, it is. Okay, we mentioned this last week, but I'm... Okay, forget the A24, like, elevated horror crowd. Forget Blumhouse. Spectre Vision is my choice for the best horror studio of the last decade. Because they're not... They haven't put out a lot of stuff, but they put out some of the most interesting stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I could, I could see that. Mandy, I, I loved. Elijah Wood produces a lot of cool stuff these days. A lot of... Yeah, speaking of Elijah Wood, I watched part of Over the Garden Wall, which was pretty good. I still need to get around to that, because I have friends who, like, you gotta watch Over the Garden Wall, like, I will, I will. I feel like shit, because I, I know it's or it's probably gonna be really good, but I just I just haven't found time to watch it yet. Yeah, that, yeah. that's that's me with a lot of things, but it, it was like uh, a more heartwarming, um, fall, cozy version of um, shoot, I'm blanking on the name. Damn. Um, no, it's uh, it was that animated Disney show that looks a lot like Gravity Rick and Morty. Falls. Gravity Falls. Gravity Falls. Yeah. Which I I loved. But yeah. Yeah. Right, worth checking out. I think it would be a good thing to watch around autumn. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. Very autumn. Anyway, I think that this God, this has been a long one. I'm not sure yeah. if it'll be that long. I who knows how much I'm going to cut out because th- this went into a lot of detours, folks. We made a lot. of yeah, and um, a lot of like you know, overlapping, and maybe like a lot of uh. That's yeah, fine. Well, they they say we'll the edit is all where it's always figured out anyway. They said yeah. the edit. Fix it in post. Yep, fix. Eh, k- kind of. <laughs> Shoot for the edit, I guess is what. Or talk yeah. for the edit. Wait. But if you haven't seen this film, I would definitely recommend it. It's on the Criterion Channel. You can rent it on Amazon. Sponsored by Criterion Channel. <laughs> Sponsored by Criterion. Anyway, which, uh, yeah. Glad, thank you for listening, everyone. If you want to find us on Letterboxd, just search our names respectively, Jack Rourke and Chandler Williams. If you want to follow Twitter or the podcast on Twitter, just uh, search us up at Warp Celluloid. Follow us or subscribe to us and rate us on iTunes, Spotify, wherever podcast. What Anything you could say helps. Yes, we really appreciate it. Thank you for listening. We're really glad to finally cover some horror movies, and we all have a happy Halloween. See ya. Talk to you later. Thank you.